How many of you are old enough to remember what Coca-Cola's motto or theme was for years? It was Coca-Cola is the... Say it out loud like you mean it. It's a real thing. And I guess if you own the Pepsi or Dr. Pepper or Mountain Dew bottling company, you would have been offended by that because the implication was that they were not the real thing, but that Coke was the genuine article. Well, this morning we're going to be in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, and we're going to look at a, a difficult but extremely important passage of Scripture. Matthew 13, and we're going, to, we're going to try to examine the real deal. Here's what I want to ask you to do this morning as you're turning in your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screens. We, don't, we won't have our outline or anything on the screens today because, like I mentioned earlier, I, God let me know I'd be preaching uh, about 2.15 yesterday, so we're a little behind on that. But here's what I want you to do. I hope every Sunday you pay attention, and I, I by faith, believe that you are. Uh, but I want you to draw a circle around yourself this morning. Don't pray for your neighbor or your friend or that other person that needs to hear this message. Examine yourself today and see, see what God shows you. Ask God to speak to you and show you uh, where you are in relation to this. Matthew 13, here's where we're going to start. This is a passage talking about Christians and non-Christians. It's a passage, it's a farming passage, but Jesus is essentially talking about saved people and lost people. The first thing he talks about is the Christian. In verse 24, it says, Jesus told them another parable. Jesus was telling them stories to help them understand. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now, here's what Jesus does in this story. So you'll need to stay with me. Again, it'll be on the screens. Verses 24 through 30 are the kind of the farming story. And then he jumps over in verses 36 through 43 and explains it. So let's go to verse 36, 37, and 38. When they left the crowd and they went in the house, his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. In other words, the one who sows the good seed here is Jesus. The field, in verse 38, is the world where you and I live. And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The good seed stands for people who belong to Jesus Christ, people who are true Christians, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll finish that. We'll go back to that more in a moment. Jesus is going to be talking a lot. We're going to talk about wheat and tares, wheat and weeds. The wheat are people who are Christians. The wheat are people who genuinely belong to Jesus Christ, okay? Now, he's talking also about non-Christians in this passage. In verse 25, it says, But while everyone was sleeping after the good seed had been sowed, his enemy came and sowed weeds, tares, among them wheat, and then went away. Now, in verse 38, he explains that. The field, again, is the world that we live in. The good seed are Christians, and the weeds are sons of the evil one. They're sons of the devil. Now, that's a powerful way of just saying these are people who do not belong to Jesus Christ, okay? In a nutshell, he's talking about lost people. He's talking about saved people. And you might be able to say, okay, well, then this is pretty simplistic. We get it, yada, yada, yada. That's anything but the truth. This is a, a, a deep, profound, and powerful passage. In fact, here's the second thing I want to share with you. This, this is a passage teaching about a unique 
type of non-Christian. Now, that may even sound funny, a, a unique type of non-Christian, but, but it is. It's, it's teaching. Uh, you may say, well, aren't there just lost people and saved people? Yes, but, but this is teaching about a unique type of a lost person. Let me give you a few thoughts on this. One, this is not your, your clearly visible lost person. This is not the person that you would say, oh, I'm not being judgmental, but you know what? That person does not know Christ. I don't want to be judgmental, but I'll say this. I don't know a whole lot about the people in ISIS, but I think it's, good, it's safe to say they are not born-again Christians. Would you agree with that? Uh, they may be a lot of things, but we, I think we can say about the people about ISIS that they're, when you're beheading and burning people, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Amen? Okay, so that's, that's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. And, 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 you know, if you would have known me before I was a Christian, you would have probably said, he's lost. Let's pray for him and don't let our daughters go out with him. Um, this is not the open atheist. This is not the murderer. This is not the party animal. This is not the person who is the wild child here. Okay, that's very important to understand. God loves those people. In fact, the greatest thing that could happen to ISIS would be salvation. You know, if, if those folks would get Jesus, that'd put an end to all that. that that's for sure. So we're, we're not downplaying or criticizing you if you're in that boat. We want you to come to Christ, and he loves you. But that's not who this passage is talking about. It's a unique type of lost person. Go back to verse 25. While everyone was sleeping... The enemy, the enemy is the devil, came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Now, the word weeds probably gives a wrong picture. If you have the King James in your hand or some translation, it may use the word tear. This, this, this is not a weed like you think about. You look in a flower garden. Here's these very noticeable ugly weeds. This was called the bearded darnel. And, and listen, this is very important. It looked just like wheat. It looked just like the real thing. It's a weed. It's not the real thing. It's not a valuable thing at all. In fact, it's a hindrance. But it's right in the middle of the wheat too. And it's intertwined with it. Again, he's talking about lost people and saved people. So what is he saying? He's saying this. He's saying that there is a lot of lost people who look just like Christians. That look like the real deal. Again, verse 25, he says the, the weeds are right there amongst. They're in the middle of. And, and until they come to maturity, you cannot tell them apart. I have, I have seen, in fact, I have studied pictures from Palestine, this part of the world. I've looked at wheat fields, and I want to tell you that I don't think anybody in this room, not that I'm a wheatologist or wheat expert, but I don't think you could tell the difference. And, and that was the whole point of Jesus' story is the, they grow up in the middle of the wheat, they're amongst the wheat, and it looks identical. Jesus is talking about here, Jesus is talking about a saved person who looks like a Christian. Here's a second thought on this. All the external things are fine. Now, the tear, the weed, is not wheat. It's not the real thing. But on the outside, it looks just like the real thing. Again, he's not trying to primarily teach an agricultural lesson here. He's teaching a spiritual lesson. And he's talking about a lost person here that externally 
looks just like a saved person. In fact, on the outside, this may be you. You look just like the people who truly belong to Christ. When I was in college, one evening after I'd become a Christian, I got a phone call from a friend of mine, and he said, you need to get to my apartment right now. Well, I'm thinking, did I flirt with his girlfriend or what? You know, he's like real insistent, real you know, dogmatic. So I, so I came over there, and this was a guy, I'd prayed with this guy regularly. He was a very moral guy, a good church member, a good friend. He'd been to a revival that night. They had preached on the wheat and the tares. And he told me, he goes, Chris, I am a tear. I am lost. And I almost, and I'm so glad I did, and I almost started to debate him and say, no, man, listen, there's, listen look at these things in your life, but I, I kept my mouth shut, thank goodness. Listen, don't you play God. You and I, that's the whole point of this story here. A lot of times we can't tell. And the bottom line was before the night was over, this guy gave his life to Jesus Christ, was later baptized, and looks back and says, that's the point in my life when I was saved. See, this is a lost person that looks like a saved person. Here's another thing that that is scary about this. This is a person who's secure in this. A lot of times they're secure that they are a Christian. The farmer... Up until the very end, the farmer is secure that, that these weeds are good, that these weeds are wheat. And oftentimes, especially on the backside of it, after they do become Christians, when I'll talk to somebody who's been in this position, they will tell me, you know what, I felt secure in my salvation until something happened. A lot of times, though, they, they will tell you they've had some doubts, they've had some, some concerns, but it just didn't really come to the surface until God used someone to really prick their hearts with it. We were having a revival in one of my churches years ago, and the revival had started on Wednesday, and it ran Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night through Sunday morning. Excuse me, through Sunday night. And on Sunday night, a person came down bawling her eyes out and gave her life to Christ that night, which is always wonderful. But here was the weird thing. This had been one of the leaders in my church. This had been a person that was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, that was there Wednesday night, that was a part of the prayer ministries, that served, that gave, that did everything a pastor wants in a church member. But as I talked to them later, they said, you know what? I had everything outside look great, but, but as the Holy Spirit used that preacher that night, and it wasn't me, as the Holy Spirit used that preacher that night, I realized that I was lost. I wasn't a Christian. You see, that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about someone, he's talking about someone who the externals look fine and who may even feel secure. Now, listen, you, you need to come to a point of security in your salvation. You do not need to live with false security in your salvation. You need, the Bible says, to examine yourself and see where you are with Christ. That's what God's talking about here. Let me tell you another part of this. This is really creepy. This is a special work of the devil. This isn't an accident. This isn't a fluke. This is a special work of Satan. Verse 25 through 29, while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servant said, Shouldn't we go and pull them up? Doesn't that sound like church members? Let's go through those rows. We'll get rid of those scoundrels. 
Yeah, you go ahead. <laughs> no, he answered in verse 29, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat also. The tares, the weeds, are right in the middle amongst and on top of the wheat. The wheat. In Jesus' day, this was fairly common. In fact, in Roman codified law, they had a law that specifically said you are not to sow bad seed in someone else's field. You can see why. In India, for years, one of the, uh, a terrible threat that you could say to someone is that I will sow bad seed in your field. You were messing up their crop. You were ruining their crop. It, it was something that enemies did. And in verse 39, look who says it, it did. And the enemy who sows this is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. It's the enemy, it's the devil who does this. You see, folks, Satan cannot destroy the church of Jesus Christ. Our greatest threat is not the outside. Our greatest threat is always the inside. And how the devil can work the best is when he causes trouble in here. And one of the ways the devil can work in a church and certainly in your life is he can get you thinking you're saved when you're not. And that's not happening on the outside. That's happening right here in the middle. Several years ago, I was in a meeting and I heard one of our, our Baptist denominational leaders talk about it. He said, preachers, you need to go through your roles, your Sunday school roles and your church roles. That's where a lot of your evangelistic prospects are. As weird as that may sound, that's exactly what the Bible is teaching. So I want to ask you, a life and death, a heaven and hell question this morning. Is this you? Are, you? are you this special type of lost person? Well, preacher, isn't there just lost and saved? Yes, but it's clear the Bible says here there is a sp- specific and, and, and distinct type of lost person. Is this you? Let me give you a fundamental reason we fall into this. We base our salvation on the wrong things. Last Sunday, I went over some things. I'm going to go over another thing or two this week. I I want you to answer these. What are you basing your salvation? Well, I'm going to go to heaven someday. I'm right with Christ. Why? Why? Here's three, three things we base it on that are all wrong. We say, I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. I've been to many, many, many funerals. Very few funerals have I heard someone look at the casket and go, Oh, Uncle Joe, he was a terrible scoundrel. They just don't do that, which is fine. Most of the time, they're going to say, This was a good person. This was a good person. I'll give you a little comic relief. This is a true story. I went to a funeral, this was 25 years ago, and, and the funeral part's not funny, and the guy's tears are not funny, but what he said was he, uh, it, it was an older man, about 90, he lived a long life, and, and afterwards I'm talking to one of his relatives, and he's crying, and, and he said, man, my uncle, he was a good man, he was a good man, he goes, he'd fight at the drop of a hat, and he cussed way too much, but he was a good man, and I thought, Lord, may that not be said about me at my funeral, <laughs> How are you measuring your goodness, number one? Listen, I don't doubt that in this room there are a lot of nice and kind and loving and generous people because I've been the recipient of a lot of your love in my time here. But listen, God's goodness and your goodness and my goodness, they don't match. 
And someday when you stand before God, he's not going to say, hey, you were pretty good. Come on in. It's not what it's based on. That's what a lot of people are basing it on is I'm a good person. I said this last week. Some of you are basing it on this. I believe in Jesus. You should believe in Jesus. That's, that is a step in the salvation process. Many years ago, I'd come home from graduate school in Texas. I'd gone to Tennessee and I was, uh, I was spending some time with one of my friends, a guy I'd been friends with for, and we'd gone to school from fifth grade on. And, and he wasn't a Christian. He is today, which is great, but he wasn't then. And so I was trying to share Christ with him, and I just couldn't do it smoothly. So finally I just said, hey, if you died today and were standing before God, and he asked you why I should let you into heaven, what would you say? By the way, that is not the Dale Carnegie way how to do that. And he kind of teared up, and he said, I believe in Jesus. I said, buddy, James 2.19 says the devil believes in Jesus and trembles. You must believe intellectually in Christ to get to heaven, but that is not enough. It, it's a commitment of your life. So some of you are saying today, I'm a good person, I'm generous, I'm kind. That's great. That's not enough. And good people are tares. And you go, well, I believe in Jesus. That's awesome. That is not enough. And some of you are saying today, I am a good church member. Listen, I'm a pastor. I love good church members. I struggle with difficult church members. As much as I would like to say that being a good church member is going to get you into heaven, I, I do not have a say at the judgment seat. God's not going to look at me and say, uh, Chris, what you think, bud? <laughs> but a tear is a person that's in church. A tear is a person that goes to church. A tear is a good person who believes the right things and who is here. And you're right where you need to be. Praise God. I'm so glad, honestly, that you're here today. I really and truly am. One Sunday night after a church service in Texas, I went to, went to some friend's home, house, and, and uh, there was a guy there. He was a little bit younger than me. I was in my mid-20s. He was probably his early 20s then. And he was emotionally distraught. Now, this was a guy who, his dad was a pastor who had been in church every time the doors were open, and probably even times when the doors were not open, who had a beautiful voice. He could sit at the piano and play everything. He would sing songs, he, solos in church, and he, he was a nice guy, always at church. And that night, he got saved. And when I asked him later, I said, man, tell me, John, what happened in your heart? And he said, Chris, I had everything on the outside looked right, but I knew if I really dug deep that something was not right on the inside, I was a tear, and he gave his life to Jesus. With all compassion, I ask you this morning, is that you? And then from nothing but a heart of love, here's what I want to say to you. If that's you this morning, you are in trouble. You're in trouble. Let me tell you two things that the Bible says. Number one, it, it says you're lost. It says you're lost. Verse 38. The field is the world, 
And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. And the weeds are the sons of the evil one. This is fixable. It is fixable this morning. It is fixable within the next 15 minutes. But please hear me, without Christ, if you're a hellion or you are the most religious person here, you are lost without Christ. A tear is lost without Christ. Well, isn't God going to count my goodness, my church membership, my intellectual belief? No, because that's not what the transaction is determined by. Without Christ, you are a tear or you are lost. You're lost. And I want to throw one other thing to this. The Bible says you're on your way to hell. I, I don't want to tell you that. I, I don't want to say that to you. But would your doctor be doing you a favor if you had cancer and he didn't want to tell you? He didn't want to hurt your feelings? He didn't want to ruin your day? In verse 30, in verse 30 it says, Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at that time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it to my barn. What they did is they, the ladies, the ladies were the ones that would separate them. They would go and they would sit in the barn. And at this point, after they'd been harvested, it was clear what was a tear and what was wheat, what was real, what was not real. And the ladies would separate them. The tear would be thrown into the fire and burn, and the wheat obviously was saved for productive use. God is not teaching an agricultural lesson, though. In verse 40 through 43, as the weeds are pulled and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And he ends this by saying, He who has ears, if you have any sense at all, is what he's saying. Hear what Jesus is trying to communicate to you. See, what he says in the end, I can't tell. A lot of times I can't tell who's saved and who's not saved, and you can't either. But he's saying, in the end, it's going to be obvious. God is going, God knows anyway. And, and, and yes, in, in, a, in a big church house, there, there are wheat and there are tares every Sunday. And that's great because that's exactly where a tear needs to be so they can hear the Word of God. But in the end, there will be a separation. It will be clear and it will be distinct. Please hear me. I'm telling you this because I truly care about you. If you're a tear this morning, you may be the nicest tear in the room. But you're lost and you're headed to hell without Christ. It's fixable, but you are in a serious, serious spot right now. June of 1989, I preached this passage in my little church. We got up to have the invitation. The guy who was leading the music stopped leading the music. And he came down to me where I was standing. He led the music. He was the deacon. Did you get that? We had one. (laughs) 
He was the Sunday school director. He taught adult training union. And he came down with tears in his eyes in front of 40 people who knew him very well, many of them family members. And he said, Chris, I am a tear. And that morning we prayed, and he gave his life to Christ. And I baptized him that evening. You just saw a testimony of Tony Corley, one of the top tear guys in our church, who until two and a half years ago was a tear. Is that you? Let's pray. This morning, please pay attention just for a few more minutes. You're here, and you know in your heart that you're not a Christian. Maybe you're just uncertain. Maybe that the, the voice of God, his hand on your heart is pointing out to you something that's very uncomfortable that you're a tear. If you're ready to do this, I want you to cross the line with Jesus. Would you pray with me right where you're seated and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And, and I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I believe you're God's son. And that you died for me. And that you, that you came back to life for me. Jesus, come into my heart now. And today, I surrender my life to you. I want to ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for another minute. Just for another minute. I want to ask you right now, if you just prayed that prayer and just ask Christ in your heart, would you raise your hand and hold it up for a second? Would you raise your hand with me if you just prayed that? Thank you very much. Thank you. Let me have your attention. We're fixing to give you a chance to respond. We're going to stand and maybe today you want to join the church or as a Christian you want to come and pray for someone, that's great. But our primary emphasis right now is this. God's spoken to your heart. God's pulling on your heart. You've realized you're a tear. You realize you don't know Him. When we stand, I want you to come. I know it's tough. Get a family member or friend to come with you if you need them to, but I want you to come. I want you to come this morning and settle that deal with Jesus Christ. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Let's stand. As God leads you, you step out. You step out and come. We'll be waiting on you this morning.